Okay, so today we are continuing our ser uh, series, which is named after a really great book, How Not to Read the Bible, uh, by a really good guy named Dan Kimball. And my little disclaimer is, a lot of what we're teaching in this series, we're teaching straight out of this book. So if you haven't read this book, I'd really encourage you to get your hands on it and check it out. Um, Dan wrote this book, uh, one of his great concerns that caused him to write this book was a concern he had that Christians are actually losing their faith because they're reading the Bible. And they're getting tripped up over these really weird passages. And so one of his great concerns is that the Christians are going to lose their way because they read the Bible. And the reason I've been preaching it, and one of my great concerns is about something that happened to me as kind of a teenager, and maybe it happened to you too, and that is that skeptics of Christianity ask us questions about weird passages in the Bible, and we can't explain them, or we don't understand them, and it becomes hard to witness to that person. Or even worse, it might like shake our faith when they bring up these questions and we just don't know the answers. And some skeptics of Christianity are just really good at this. Like they'll set up kind of a straw man. You know, they'll, they'll present an objection with a really shallow interpretation of a Bible passage. And then they attack that interpretation. And then when that interpretation turns out to be wrong, we throw the Bible out with the bathwater. And that, that, that technique is as old as time. I mean, that's, that's the straw man. That's this classic debate technique. Um, and so they'll say things um, to confuse us. Like they'll say, well, you know, um, I've read the Bible. The Bible says God hates women. So you have to choose. You either accept a God who hates women or you reject the Bible. But the Bible doesn't say that God hates women. Or they'll say, you know, the Bible says that God loves slavery. So you got to choose. You either accept a God that loves slavery or you reject the Bible. But the Bible doesn't say that God loves slavery. Or they'll say the Bible is anti-science, is what we talked about last week. Oh, the Bible says here's exactly when creation happened, here's exactly how it took, how long it took, how it went, and that's way different than what scientists believe, so you have to choose. Either science is right or the Bible is true. But the Bible doesn't say that. Or then they'll say, well, you know, the Bible is full of crazy rules about what we eat and what we drink and how we cut our hair and whether we should have tattoos and giving money to the church. So we have to choose. We either keep those rules or we burn in hell forever. But the Bible doesn't say that except that one about giving money to the church. That's, that's legit right there. Um, but these are just really shallow interpretations, like shallow readings of the Bible, and they're super dangerous because they force people into a choice that doesn't really need to be made. So today's gonna be a little bit different because today we're gonna talk about a different objection, and this is something that keeps some people from following Jesus, and this is something that I think causes some Christians to question their faith, and this one does require a decision. This one does require a choice to be made. So today, let's talk about the narrowness of the Bible and of Christianity. And I think you'll have to admit, um, it seems kind of exclusive, especially when you read passages like John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He said, nobody comes to the Father except through me. And I have to say, that sounds kind of narrow. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 5. 
says that there's only one mediator. There's only one person that can reconcile God to man, and that person is Christ Jesus. I mean, that sounds pretty narrow. That sounds pretty exclusive. Acts 4.12 says there is, no salva- there is salvation in no one else, and there's no other name under which men can be saved except the name of Jesus. That sounds pretty narrow. That sounds pretty exclusive. First uh, John, John 5.12 is like for the people that are kind of slow on the uptake. It just puts it like, whoever has Jesus has life. Whoever doesn't, doesn't. <laughs> right? And I mean, that sounds pretty narrow. That sounds really, it sounds like, it sounds like Christianity is making a claim that only Jesus followers can find God or heaven. Doesn't that sound kind of narrow? Doesn't that sound kind of exclusive? And if you're honest, doesn't it sound a little arrogant? And doesn't it sound a little bit mean? For Christians to say there's only one way, and it's our way. You can choose whatever God you want. Pick your religion. There's thousands of them. But just so you know, as Dan says in the book, whatever God you choose, my God can beat up your God. My way is right. My way is right. So some people try to like reconcile this by saying, well, we just don't have to make a choice. There's lots of ways to get to God. In fact, all paths lead to God. And there's been some really brilliant theologians and Bible scholars that have said this. Like, look at this first quote. I do believe that all paths lead to God. You know who said that? Madonna. And then, uh, this is a famous one, there are many paths to what you call God. There couldn't possibly be just one way. And you said that. Oprah. And then these are, they all just have one name. Here's another one. Religions are different roads converging on the same point. You said that. Gandhi. A little bit more cred there, right, than the other two. But this is a pretty common way of thinking, right, that all paths lead to God. And a lot of people use a graphic of a mountain. So Matt, can you throw that up there? And this idea is that, you know, God's at the top of the mountain or heaven's at the top of eternal life or whatever is at the top of the mountain. And all paths, no matter whether, like this is the top three, right? Hinduism, Christianity, Islam. If all three of those are going a different way, but at the end of the day, they all get to the same place. And that is a really cool illustration, and that is a really cool idea if there is just one mountain. And that's the question I think we have to ask. Is it one mountain? Is it the same one God at the top of all those mountains? And so let's do like a little exercise today. We're going to look at the three most popular religions in the world. 70% of the world falls into one of these religions, and we're going to ask um, the same three defining questions of each one of these religions, and obviously we're super oversimplifying everything, right? They're very complicated, very complex. We're just going to take a really simple look to give us a way to compare them to Christianity and to compare them all to each other. So here's the three questions we're going to ask each religion. Who is God in this religion? And then who is Jesus in this religion? And then in this religion, how do we get to God? Or how do we get to heaven? Or, or what, how do we win? How do we win? Um, because pretty much every religion believes in some kind of judgment, some kind of reckoning 
some kind of reward at the end of our life. So let's start with Hinduism, and we'll, we'll, we'll go through those three questions with Hinduism. So very, very common, about 15% of the seven billion people on earth are Hindus. So let's, let's, let's go through the three questions with them, right? So um, who's on top of the mountain for them, right? Who, who is God in Hinduism? And in Hinduism, there are many, many gods. In fact, there are literally thousands of gods in Hinduism, but behind all of the gods or above all of the gods is like this background universal life force called Brahman, like the noodles, Brahman noodles. Uh, <laughs> it's Brahman, not ramen. Make an important distinction. Um, so Hindus believe in many, the top of their mountain, it's not God, it's a whole bunch of gods. Uh, what do they think about Jesus? Hindus think that uh, Jesus might be a god. Um, and again, they're pretty open to that because they have thousands of gods. Uh, a friend of mine does a lot of our work in India with Mission India. And he said, if you, if you really go to people, if you're not interfered with from persecution or government or whatever, people are pretty open to the idea of Jesus because they've been raised in Hinduism and one more God is not a problem for them. So they, they think Jesus is, you know, he, he's a good guy. Uh, they think he reached total self-realization, which is like a big goal for them. But um, they do not see him in, as, as especially being God. Um, what about heaven? Um, what do Hindus believe about heaven? Um, they don't believe in heaven. Uh, Hindus believe that when you die, you're reincarnated. And then that happens again and again, and every life is like a new chance for you to do more good stuff than bad stuff. So if you do good stuff, that falls under your list of good karma, and if you do bad stuff, that falls under your list of bad karma. And once you finally live a life that has more good karma and less bad karma, you don't go to heaven, but you kind of um, disappear. Um, you know, like you, you, you lose your individual identity and you kind of like melt into Brahman or become, that, become one with the universe, you probably heard that term. So that's Hinduism, that's what they think of God and that's what they think of Jesus and that's what they think of heaven. Now we're trying to analyze, remember, are these mountains all the same mountain? Okay, so now we'll go to number two. Let me, before we put it up there, let me ask you to guess. What do you think is the second most popular religion on the planet? Islam, yeah, Muslims are about 23% of the world. About a quarter of the planet is Muslim. So um, let's start with the first question. Who is God to them? Uh, to a Muslim, God is Allah, um, described in the Quran. They don't have the Bible, they have the Quran. Um, Jesus is not God's son. Um, Muslims think the idea of a trinity is blasphemy. So that brings us to the second question. What do they think of Jesus? Um, they think he was a great man. They do recognize Jesus, and they do think that he's a great prophet, but they do not believe that Jesus was divine in any sense. So to a Muslim, salvation has nothing to do with Jesus. So what is salvation to them, right? The third question, afterlife, heaven, how does that work? So for them, um, good people go to paradise, and bad people go to hell, and 100% of that designation is made by whether you've done good deeds that please Allah or if you've done bad deeds that anger Allah. So the number one religion in the world, you wanna guess what it is? Christianity, we're number one. We're <laughs> uh, about 33% of the world is Christian. So for Christianity, who's on top of the mountain? That's Yahweh, right? That's the God of the Bible. Um, 
he's weird um, because he's three and one. So he's three persons, three revelations of one person. So he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet he's only one God. So in Christianity, this is a really big question. Who is Jesus in Christianity? And in Christianity, Jesus is God, and he came and became human and died and resurrected so that by our faith in him and in that, we could be resurrected and we could have eternal life with him in heaven. So the third question, um, yeah, we believe that there is an afterlife. We believe that someday God will make things right and he will repair and redeem the world and make it like it was supposed to be in the first place, which is for us to be in complete communion with him and have no sin and no war and no death and no pain and all of that good stuff. And in Christianity, what's different is that it has, whether you get in or out, has nothing to do with your deeds. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with how good you were or how bad you were in this life. It has everything to do with your faith in Jesus. If you had your faith in Jesus, if you put all of your hope and faith in him, then we end up in heaven. And, and that's gonna unite us with him and with God. And if we don't put our faith in Jesus, we instead keep our faith in ourselves or our good deeds or religion or whatever, then we're gonna be forever separated from God. So once we've accepted Jesus, and we put our faith in him, then his spirit comes to live inside of us. So if you start thinking, oh man, Hinduism is so weird, right? Islam is so weird, how about this, right? We're saying this God who is three and also one is going to save us completely by nothing we do, but 100% by us putting faith in him, and then he's gonna come live inside of us. And then he's gonna begin to change us from the inside out. So lest we talk about how weird other religions are, we get some pretty weird stuff too. So once he gets inside of us, he leads us, and he empowers us to do the things that please God. So there you go. That's a top three world religions take on God and on Jesus and on the afterlife. And I will say that to me, that seems like three different mountains. You agree? Seems like that's three different mountains. So today's question is, isn't Christianity too exclusive? Isn't it arrogant of Christians to think we have the right mountain? Isn't it arrogant of us and exclusive of us to think that ours is the superior truth? And there are people, you probably know people, I've certainly met people that say, I don't wanna follow Jesus, I don't wanna be a Christian just because it's too narrow, it's too arrogant, it's too prideful, it's too exclusive because Christians think their way is the only way. But I think it's important to point out that all religions, all belief systems are exclusive. All the mountains claim a superior truth. There's thousands of religions and all of them think their way is right. Listen, there's a funny thing. Even universalism is exclusive. So universalism is this idea we talked about that all roads lead to God and a universalist loves to tell the story of the three blind men and the elephant. You guys know this story? This is how a universalist proves to you that all religions are equally valid. So the story is of these three blind men and they hear or smell an elephant coming to town and they say, hey, we should go check him out. Okay, they're blind, so they're feeling their way over towards him and one of them grabs the elephant's tail 
And he says, oh, I see, an elephant is like a rope. And then the other blind man reaches around and he grabs the elephant's leg and he says, oh, I see, an elephant is like a tree. And then the third one reaches over and he touches the side of the elephant and he says, oh, I see, an elephant is like a wall. And so the point that a universalist make in telling that story is that all religions are trying to describe a God that they can't really see and that they can't really know. And since none of us can see God, it's like we're all blind and we all have a limited view of God. So no religion can make a claim of absolute truth. Therefore, they all must be right and all roads lead to God. And that's a good story. Um, it's a good illustration. Uh, the problem in that illustration is the only person that could see that all three blind men were right would be a sighted person. And so a universalist is themselves making a claim that they can see, right? You and you and you, you only see your little picture, but as a universal, I'm back far enough, and so I have the right view. So a universalist is actually making, like they're saying that they have a superior truth, right? They're saying that they have sight. So the statement that they make, that no one can make an absolute truth claim, is an absolute truth claim, right? So whether you're Hindu or Muslim or Sikh or Buddhist or Jewish or Universalist or atheist, if your way is right, everybody else's way is wrong. And people talk about Christianity and they complain it's too narrow because we think we have the only way to God, but all religions believe that theirs is the only way to God. All are exclusive because Truth is exclusive, right? Isn't only truth true? <laughs> I think everything else is false. And I'm not really sure why it bothers people so much that Christianity says that Jesus is the only way, if he is. I mean, if you, what if you were in a building and the building's on fire and it's all crashing around you and smoke and flames and the floor's caving in, the ceiling's caving in, and so you're just thinking this is it for me, and all of a sudden a fireman with an ax busts open the door, and he says, come with me, we're going through this door and down this hall to safety. Would you say, well that sounds pretty narrow and exclusive, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, surely there can't just be one way. I mean, don't you think there might be some other ways? You're not gonna say that? You're gonna say, I wanna know the truth. I don't, care about, I don't care about options right now, right? I wanna know the truth. If there's only one way, tell me what it is. So all of these religions and all these belief systems make claims that they have like superior knowledge or understanding of how to get to God and then it brings us to the hard question, right? If there are all of these mountains, and it's not three, man, there's thousands of religions. So if there are all these different mountains, all these different belief systems, and they all say they have you know, this exclusive truth, um, how, do we, how, do you, how do we pick, right? Like for us, what's so great about Christianity? You know, why is Christianity different than Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or anything else? Um, what separates Christianity from other faiths? And so today, I'm gonna give you um, seven things 
that I think separate Christianity from other religions, and there's a whole lot more than this. These are just the ones that, I don't know, stood out to me this week when I was thinking about it. So these are seven reasons that I think Christianity is different um, than other mountains. Um, The first one is the Bible calls Jesus Emmanuel, and this is actually a complex Hebrew word. Uh, Imanu is with us, and El is God. And so Jesus is the concept of God with us. This is different because in Islam and in other faiths, we see a God who watches from a distance and like judges us from afar to see if we're, you know, going to be good enough to someday leave this world of pain and sorrow. But instead of that, Jesus came and joined us in our pain and in our sorrow, and in our loss, and in death. What, what other God does that? What other God gives his life so we can have life? I think that's an important distinction between Christianity and other faiths. Uh, number two, almost all religions admit that people are broken. But Jesus sees us in our brokenness, and he loves us, and he wants us anyway. He's not saying get better, and then we'll see. He accepts us as we are, and that's unique in religion. Most religions say, you know, God says to you, change, and then I'll accept you. And Christianity, Jesus says, accept me, and I'll change you. And I think that's a difference. I think that's a distinction between Christianity and other religions. Um, Number three, in Christianity, everyone is welcome not just super saints. Not, I mean, look around, right? Not just, not just really good people. Jesus said he specifically came for people that knew they were broken. He said he knew he came for people that knew they were sick, not for people that thought they were well. Christianity's for everyone. And this is an important one to me. I remember as a kid, and my mom, and I had the conversation the other day, and she said, I remember when you brought this up when you were little. But I said one day, I'm maybe 12 years old, 13 years old, and I said, you know, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Bible, and I think that's partially because I was raised by Christian parents, and I went to a Christian church, and I lived in a Christian town, in a Christian state, in a Christian country, but don't you know that on the exact opposite side of the world from me, on the same day that I was born, another little boy was born, and he was raised by Muslim parents in a Muslim town. He went to a Muslim church in a Muslim country. And so it's like, that seems kind of unfair that we have these different expectations. Isn't Christianity, don't I have like too much of an advantage because I'm I'm American. I mean, people get like the two things mixed up, right? Are you Christian? Oh yeah, I'm from America. (laughs) That's not the way that works, right? Are you an American? Oh yeah, I'm Christian. No, that's not not the way that works. And so that seemed like really unfair to me. And that's a, that's a complaint that a lot of people have against Christianity. Oh no, it's only for a certain, it's only for, you know, people that live in a certain, it's only for Americans. It's only for people that live in the United States. But all religions mostly offer salvation to the people and the groups of people in their area and around them, and in fact, Christianity is, I think, the least guilty of that because Yahweh, God so loved the world that he sent his son, not just a certain demographic, not just a certain area of people. And I'm gonna show you this chart, and we can't spend a lot of time on this, but just real quick, this is a graphic, a geographic distribution of religious groups. So that first thing is just the overall global population. But look at the next two lines, Hindus 
and Buddhists. And what you'll see is that virtually every single Hindu and Buddhist on the planet lives in the Asian Pacific. Almost 100% of Hindus, almost 100% of Buddhists live in that one region. But then if you look down the second line from the bottom, that's Christians. And just take a look at how like balanced that is. Um, about equal numbers in Europe and Latin America and Sub-Saharan Africa and Asia. And the reality is that the United States is just a really small percentage of Christians. So Christianity is not a religion. One of the things I like about Christianity, it's not a religion of a certain group of people. God sent Jesus because he loved the world, and all are welcome. Number four, take the chart down if you haven't, Matt, because I'm looking at that one, they should be looking at me. Uh, number four, Christians do a lot of good in the world. Um, Christianity is responsible for lots of hospitals and orphanages and adoption agencies and food programs and water provision and poverty relief agencies all over the world because our commandment from our God is to love each other. Number five, Christianity offers a guaranteed cure for sin and death. No wondering with Christianity. That's a, that's a perk, man. You know, John said, when he, John said he wrote the book of John, why? So that you may know that you have eternal life. And if you're a Hindu, you're doing the best you can, right? You're trying to do all the good karma you can, you're trying to avoid all the bad karma you can, but you don't really know until you die, and then you either wake up as another person or you don't. You never really know how you're doing. And in Islam, I mean, you can, you, can, you, can be, you can be trying and trying and trying to please Allah. I'm gonna do enough, I'm gonna do enough, I'm gonna do enough, but you're also doing bad stuff, so you're constantly keeping score like this, and you can never really, really know. I, maybe, I, maybe I had one more sin and one less good deed, and now I'm not gonna make it. But in Christianity, Jesus is the guaranteed cure for sickness and for brokenness and for separation from God. The Bible says if you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to wait and find out at judgment. You don't have to live your whole life afraid. Oh no, I said a cuss word. Maybe that's it for me, right? Oh no, I did, I, you know, maybe I did one more bad thing or one less good thing and now I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm out. You don't have to wonder about that with Christianity. Jesus is the 100% guaranteed cure for sin. Uh, number six, you matter in Christianity. You as an individual human being matter in Christianity. In Islam, your value is what you produce for Allah. In Hinduism, your identity is temporary. In fact, at the end of everything, the ultimate goal is to give up your identity forever. But in Christianity, God sees you as an individual, as a, a made in his image. Right? He sees value in you specifically, just in you. He doesn't need your good deeds. He just wants a relationship with you. That's an important distinction, I think, between Christianity and the other religions of the world. And then number seven is really a really important one. When Buddha and Muhammad and Confucius and all the other religious leaders died, they stayed dead. That's a really important distinction right there because Jesus is the only one who, who claimed to have and who showed that he had power over life and death. 
And so if the idea of my road up the mountain is that I want to get to the top of that mountain and I want to have this eternal life, then I'm going to go with the proven commodity, right? I'm going to go with the one that has proven that he has power over death. So being a Christian is not trying to follow a certain leader's teaching and it's not trying to do enough good stuff to stay out of hell. Being a Christian is about us accepting, it's about us accepting a relationship with the one who has power over life and death. So for those seven and many other reasons, I choose Christianity. I like Christianity. That's a choice that I've made. And I have to tell you that it's a choice you have to make too. And you don't have to choose the same way I did. But you still have to make that choice. Because every person has to either believe in Jesus and the Bible, or we have to believe in some other way. It's one or the other. We do have to choose. Right? Most of these sermons we've said, you don't really have to even choose. You have to choose. You have to either choose to put your faith in Jesus or to put your faith in yourself or another religion or something else. Everyone has to choose whether they'll put their faith in Jesus or not. And what you can't do is kinda believe in Jesus. Right? You, you, well, you know, I like his take on the poor. Right? He's a really good prophet. Um, he lived a great life. That's a good example for us. So I don't think he's God, but I do think he's a good dude. Right? That, that, he's not that. He's not that. Jesus, Jesus, you can quote me on this. Tweet this. Jesus is not a good dude. Okay, that's not, uh, C.S. Lewis had the famous quote. He said, Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or he's Lord. He's n if, he, if Jesus is not God in skin, then he was crazy because he thought he was. Or he pulled off the greatest scam in history. But what Jesus is not is a good dude. He is not a great man or a great teacher. He's either the Messiah, the chosen one, the, the, the way for man and God to be reconciled, or he's not. So we do have a choice to make. All religions, all religions, even universalism, are mutually exclusive. So this time, I don't know, maybe the only time, I think Oprah had it wrong. I think there, there can't be more than one way. So here's a great question. What about trap doors, right? Or what about like a back door? If, like if Jesus is the only way, aren't there any exceptions or special cases? Um, what about people that are, so if we're saying the only way to God is to come to this knowledge and understanding that I need Jesus, Right? and then to accept that's the only way, that's the only way, that's the only way to God, then what about people that are too young or who are just not mentally capable of understanding that they need Jesus? And what about, what about people that never hear about Jesus? I mean, there are billions of people that will die without ever hearing the J word, right? What about, what about them? And what about like a really, really good Muslim, and he sees his need for God, but he's, he's mixed up about who God is. What about Jews? What about Jews? I mean, don't they have like a special pass? Don't they get a trap door because of that special deal that God made with Abraham? Those are like good questions, right? You want to know what I think? I don't know. I don't know. I say that a lot lately, huh? I don't know. 
I mean, uh, Tim Keller uh, had a really great quote on this. He said, God has given us this information on a need-to-know basis, right? And is there a back door for Jews? Is there a back door for people that never hear? Is there a back door for mentally incapacitated people? Is there a back door for children? I don't know, but I do know. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God wants everyone to have a chance at eternal life. That's God's desire. God wants everyone to have a chance at eternal life. And I do know that God is love and that God is fair and that God is just. And I do know that there are a couple of back doors um, mentioned in the Bible. Um, so like, um, what about people that were born before the Jewish law? Right, so God said, if you're gonna be my people, keep these laws. That was the first covenant, now we got a better covenant, but that was their covenant, right? What about people that were born before that? I mean, what's their deal? And here it is, Romans 5, 13 says, people sinned before the law was given, but it wasn't counted as sin because there wasn't any law to break. So they get a back door, right? That, that's fair, right? There wasn't a law yet, so how could they break the, so that, that's, that's a back door, that's, that's fair. Um, I, obviously, I think kids get a back door because Jesus said so. Mark 10, 14, Jesus said, the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. And those children probably had not come to an understanding that they needed a savior. They just knew they got a free fish sandwich that day, right? And Jesus was being nice to them and they were hanging out with him and they were playing together and all that stuff. So. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. What, what, what does that mean, who, who are like these children? What, the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these, what, like what are, what are the qualifications to be like these, you gotta be short, right? <laughs> you gotta be missing teeth. What's the, what's the qualification? And I think the qualification is these kids have not rejected the Holy Spirit's call. Right, that's the unforgivable sin, isn't it? To reject the call of the Holy Spirit to accept Christ. They haven't rejected the Holy Spirit's call to know Jesus, they just haven't heard it. Or they haven't understood it. So we know kids have a back door, and I'm thinking it's the same for probably mentally challenged people, right? Um, maybe it's the same for people that have never heard of Jesus, for people that are just ignorant of Jesus, they haven't rejected him, they just are ignorant of him. And that's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.13. He says, I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. So is there hope for people like that? Is there, is there a back door? Maybe. Um, Romans 1.20 says, this is a great verse, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. That's, a, that's an interesting thing right there, right? Because maybe for people that never have a chance to know God through Jesus, maybe this is saying that even if you've never heard of Jesus, you can look at the stars, right? You can look at the beach. You can look at a mountain. You can look at a baby born, and you can say, man, somebody did that, right? Somebody better than me. Somebody bigger than me. And maybe, maybe for those people, 
like maybe just them saying, God, I know that you're there and I don't know how to get to you. Like a kid, I don't know how to get to you, but I know that you're there and maybe they can know God in that way. Maybe that's like, maybe that's a back door. Um, but you know what? I think just to be safe, instead of looking for back doors, we should be bringing people in the front door, right? Maybe instead of us wondering, well, what about this person that lives in this place that's never heard? Or what about this person that didn't get a fair ex explanation? Maybe instead of looking for back doors, we should be bringing people in the front door because we know what the front door is. And Jesus said, I am the gate, right? I am the front door. We should be telling everybody, uh, Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, that's, that's, that's for sure. So that door's open. So why would we be spending all of our time wondering about back doors? Maybe we should be spending some of that time inviting people through the front door and telling them that you can get to the top of that mountain and the way is Jesus. And I'm telling you that now. So don't get mad at me, but if you never heard of Jesus before this, you were probably good to go, right? And I just blew it for you, okay? Because now you know. Because now you know everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But that's not bad news. That is good news. You don't have to look for a back door. You can go through the front door. You can do it today, right? All you have to do, the Bible says, if you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart, God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. That's how you get to the top of the mountain. That's how you have eternal life. That's how you someday get to a place where we don't deal with betrayal and pain and loss and death. That's the front door. And so, I mean, you're in church. I'm guessing you know the front door, right? You probably know that because we're Americans. Uh, but man, if there's somebody here that would say, you know, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I've really put my faith in Jesus. It says you have to say he's Lord. I don't know if I've really made him Lord of my life. Or it says you have to believe in your heart. I don't know if I've really come to grips with do I or do I not believe, but now I do. And if that's you, I just want to tell you, let's, let's just go through the front door. Right? If you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if that's something that's for you today, if today is your day of salvation, then it's always fun to like put a pin in the calendar and say, today's the day. I've been believing, but now I really believe, right? I've been like kind of trusting Jesus, but now I'm gonna trust him as my Lord. That means I'm gonna do it his way. I'm gonna read his word. I'm gonna try to understand what it means. I'm gonna try to live that life. I'm gonna depend on his spirit living in me to lead me and guide me and empower me. I'm gonna completely depend on him as my Lord. Maybe you haven't ever really done that. So if you're ready to do that, let's do it now. Okay, so I'm just gonna lead you in a really simple prayer. I'll give you my disclaimer. The words of this prayer are not going to save you. Okay, raising your hand in a church service will not save you. Walking down the aisle, kneeling here, having me pray over you or sprinkle something on you or say something about you or whatever is not gonna save anybody. The Bible's really clear on this. It says, if you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So if, you're, if, if that's you, man, let's just say it out loud. Let's just say this prayer together, and I'll ask everybody in the room to repeat this prayer after me. Just pray like this. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry. But today I become a Christian. I believe in you as my risen Savior. And I'm asking you to be my Lord, to fill me with your spirit, teach me from your word, help me to live your way. 
Thank you for my salvation. Amen. Okay, so don't, don't, yeah, you can clap. Don't, don't start uh, zipping up yet. A couple things just real quick. Um, if you did that today for the first time, you know, we make it so fast, right? And it, it is very, very simple, but it's not very, very easy to live your life as a Christian, especially when it's new to you. So that's why we're here as a church, is we want to support you and help you and encourage you any way we can. So if you became a Christian today, man, if you're online, I hope you'll just put it in the comment box so we can contact you. And if you're here in this room, I hope that you'll go back to our Connection Center, get a connection card, and just check that box that says, today I decided to follow Jesus. And I'll call you this week and see if I can answer any questions you have and just pray with you and just, just see what we can do um, to kind of support you. If you're visiting with us today, if it's your very first time here especially, we would love to know that you were here. If you'll stop at our little visitor's kiosk in the back, they've got a little gift for you. And i just really love it if you'd fill out a card and let us know that you were here so that we can give you a call uh, during the week and send you an email. We'll even send you a free cup of coffee from the Loft Coffee Shop. So let's, um, let's pray now. And then I got a couple of super, super quick announcements. Um, Father, thank you so much for your word and for the clarity that it brings. And God, it's not always easy for us to understand your word, but I thank you because you put your spirit inside each one of us so that we can understand your word. And we've got your living word inside of us. We've got your written word in front of us. Thank you for helping us sync those things up. And God, I thank you for the salvation, the way that we get to the top of the mountain, the way that we get to you is not through doing good deeds or surviving reincarnation over and over. It's just by knowing Jesus. So thank you for offering us life through Jesus, for offering us relationship with you through Jesus. Just thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. Okay, um, Vacation Bible School starts this week. If you have a kid, yeah, you can woo. If you have uh, kids in Vacation Bible School and you've not yet picked up your packet, pick it up. So you have to go out there today. There's a big table out there. Grab your packet if you have a kid in Vacation Bible School. Second thing, don't forget, next Sunday, 9.15. If you come in late, you are going to be mocked and ridiculed like nothing you've ever seen before. So if you can make it uh, at the 9.15 service, that's great. Or we'll be having service next week at 11.15. That's it. God bless you guys. Have a great week.